Join me today as my guest and I break down some of the best coaches in all sports, as well as discuss some of the hot topics in the NBA. This is 208 Sports Review. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? I'm Shane Larson. This is 208 Sports Review. Before we get started, if you're listening to the show right now, I need you to go onto your your iTunes store, go to the podcast section, and subscribe to 208 Sports Review. So if you have an iPhone, go right there to iTunes and subscribe before we do anything else. Then you can catch back up with the show. If you have an Android, go download Stitcher or Podcast Addict. Both of those are free apps, and they're, they're great, really simple to use. You can search for 208 Sports Review hit subscribe, and then leave some reviews, comments, whatever you can for me, and uh, you'll get notified every single time an episode's, you know, produced. Uh, today, I'm joined by my buddy Derek Etzel, so I just want to say thanks for coming on to the show. If, if you could just tell everybody, you know, tell the listeners how we know each other. What's up, Derek? What's up, man? Well, I, first off, I appreciate you having me on the show today. Um, we actually met by shooting some hoops at Axiom. Now we actually work together, and we've connected through sports. Yeah, absolutely. So Derek and I have been competing in sports for the last two years. We play basketball a lot together. Um, but yeah, Derek's love of sports is the reason I wanted to bring him onto the show because we we oftentimes will discuss sports while we're at work. And I find that his opinion is very close to mine. We don't necessarily agree with everything, but the way that he analyzes sports is very similar to the way that I do it. So I wanted to bring him onto the show today. Um, what sports do you follow the most? Well, basketball is actually probably my favorite sport. So I definitely enjoy the NBA, college hoops, obviously. Um, football is another love of mine. So NFL and college football, um, as well as some golf. Absolutely, man. And, and who are some of your favorite teams for each one of those sports? You just mentioned, you know, college basketball, NBA, college football, professional football, and golf. Tell us your favorite golfer as well as your favorite teams for each one of those sports. Sounds good. So as a favorite golfer, I definitely enjoy watching Rory McIlroy play. Um, just my favorite style in golf, I guess. Um, as far as uh, football goes, definitely the Seahawks. I grew up in Seattle, so I followed them and the Mariners. Um, and then I moved down to Las Vegas, and basically all they had on TV for NBA was the Lakers, and that was during Kobe Bryant's heyday. So love the Lakers. Um, as far as NCAA basketball, my dad went to UNC while Michael Jordan was going there, so huge fan of North Carolina Tar Heels. Obviously, Boise State basketball. Got to enjoy the local teams. Um, and then college football, yeah, Boise State football, go Broncos, and uh, Washington Huskies in the Pac-12. All right, all right. So you're showing your love for, for the Seattle teams. Okay, so you're a Seahawks fan. What are your thoughts on Pete Carroll? Do you like him? Do you not like him? Like, What are your official thoughts on him? I'm actually a huge fan of Pete Carroll. Um, he's developed a culture there in Seattle, um, just a winning environment. Uh, the players love playing for him, um, and he also knows how to find talent. Um, we have the most undrafted players in the NFL, um, so I think that says a lot about himself. Okay, I agree with that, actually. I, I, I like that point. Do you think, um, I mean, well, to add on to it, actually, I like how he was one of the few coaches that could actually transition from the college game to the pro game, and I love his style of his his youth. Like, he's so he's so old, but yet he's so young at the same time, and he brings these guys, and like you said, the culture, totally agree with that point. Like, 
he's created a culture there that's unique to any other team in the NFL. His coaching style compared to like those of like Bill Belichick, for instance, who we'll talk about in a second, is completely different. So I agree with you there. I think he's he's a stud coach. Um, a lot of people hate him, but I mean, I actually really respect the guy. He's done a lot of a lot of good things since he's come into the NFL, even before the NFL. I mean, he has his baggage with him with you know his days at USC, but. Um, who doesn't have their baggage with them? You know what I mean? Um, all the good coaches have them and whether you like it or not, they all have the baggage. So yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, where do you think he rates in far, as far as like some of the best coaches in the NFL? Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard to compete with Bill Belichick, but I, I would say he's right up there. Top five coaches. Um, the big thing that I like about him is, I mean, ever since he took over, they've been in the playoffs. Um, and he's created this winning environment there. They're expected to win, expected to win the division, or at least compete. Um, so yeah, I think he's up there. Okay, so and and, and so he has that success. Uh, he's in the playoffs, and he's actually like right. He's one play away from having two Super Bowl rings. It was a fluke. I mean, well, it's probably a bad decision, but it's a fluke play. I mean, slant pass at the goal line shouldn't happen anyways. Go Seahawks on that one. They should have won the game. In my mind, they still won. I don't think the Patriots got their fourth there. I don't think Tom Brady got his fourth Super Bowl still. I don't believe it. Anyways, so in, in regards to that, though, let's go Belichick versus Carroll. You like Carroll's culture. What do you like about Belichick, and what do you not like about Belichick? Is there anything specific you would call out about Belichick's history over Pete Carroll? Like, What, what do you want to say about him? Well, me and Shane were actually discussing this um, prior to the show about how every Super Bowl has been pretty much one play away from, I mean, they could technically have zero Super Bowls. But then again, they don't. They have four Super Bowls. So uh, what I like about Bill Belichick is he's created a winning culture as well. It's a lot different than Pete Carroll, but it's still a winning environment. They're expected to win. Um, They've done it with less weapons, him and Tom Brady. Um, They find a way to win, and they win division titles. So that's what that's what I, I I was trying to get at last week, um, and it, I don't know if it necessarily came through last week on the show. I was talking about Tom Brady, and I was kind of making my points to counter whether or not he is the greatest of all time. Um, just kind of making those points out there. I think a lot of credit needs to go to Belichick. Um, like you said, he's he's created a winning atmosphere. To me, it's it's crazy because he has done it with such you know I wouldn't say without any talent because like anybody who's in the NFL is there for a reason in my opinion like they're they're the athletes that could make it there but he's the one who gives those athletes a chance the ones that didn't necessarily make it on the other squads or like I said last week Hogan Chris Hogan like this guy he has the same statistics as Julio Jones in the the championship game and he's paying significantly less money for this guy um because he finds these diamonds in the rough and he's able to put them into a system where they can flourish. Uh, Amendola, who was who was injury prone throughout his career, his early part of his career. I mean, he still had his injuries, but he's come into that system where he can be utilized to the best of his ability and now they have a weapon. I think Belichick is a is a stud. But what do you think about, you know, the we talked about the baggage that comes with Pete Carroll and maybe in his his, his college days. What about the baggage that comes with Belichick like Spygate? and you know deflate gate and all this stuff that's come out do you think that that kind of puts an asterisk on some of the uh the success that he's seen I definitely think it is debatable um you know because there is always going to be that asterisk you know whether you believe it or not um it's still there and it's still going to be you know room to talk about um but then again he still wins um Tom Brady was suspended the first four games of the year and who knows they might be you know hosting up the trophy this year all right, all right, all right, all right. Um, so if if we're gonna get down to the nitty gritty here, let's let's take um, 
we've talked about Pete Carroll and Belichick. Are there any other coaches on the list, of like the top coaches in the NFL in recent history? And when we say recent history, Derek and I, we're in our you know mid to late 20s. I'm 28. I mean, we're not that old <laughs> right now. So when we talk about recent history, it's within the last 15 to 20 years when, since we've been following football. So for any of the listeners who are you know, going to be mentioning like those names of Tom Landry and, and, and all these other coaches that have been, you know, Vince Lombardi, all these guys, like, just keep in mind, we didn't get to watch those guys. So we're actually giving our analysis of the people we've seen. So when I ask you, so Derek, tell us, you know, what are some of the other coaches on the list that are in the top of the league? Well, you know, you got Tom Coughlin up there. Andy Reid consistently makes the playoffs. Um, personally, I really like Mike Tomlin, the way he coaches. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but I would say the list is pretty short. Okay, so about five guys. Five guys on there. We got Belichick, uh, to your point, Tomlin, Andy Reid, Coughlin, Pete Carroll. Okay, so I, I like that. Andy Reid, to me, um, he's a tough one to, to, to break down because he's seen so much success as far as getting to the playoffs, but for some reason it's like his teams can't take that extra step. So I think that's, in my opinion, that's what gives – Belichick and and even Pete Carroll and and Tomlin for that matter even Coughlin like all those other guys kind of have the heads up on the head up on on uh, Andy Reid because they can take that extra step I just I kind of feel bad for Reid because he has these stellar teams that I truly think could do something and they just get the wrong matchups in the playoff games but uh, so let's eliminate Andy now if, after we break that down we just say these other guys actually took that extra step got that got that Super Bowl ring out of those four we're breaking down Belichick Tomlin. We're breaking down Carroll and uh, Coughlin. Who, let's just to get the final word, who is the best coach in the NFL? Bill Belichick. Championships say it all. All right, all right. So he's got the rings. All right, so we'll, we'll leave it there. So I can agree with you on that one. I think a lot of credit goes to Belichick over Tom Brady, to be honest with you. I think that together they're the best duo that's ever ever coached and played together like that's just unbelievable the two of them, the success that they've seen um, to that point. Belichick did not win a Super Bowl until Brady came in. And so he utilized his weapon, built a team around him. I agree with you 100% on that. Belichick, best in the NFL, best coach to, to coach and that we've seen in our days. Let's, uh, on this same topic, let's talk about uh, college football. What's the debate on college football? Like, Who do you think would be like the top coaches in college football at this time? Obviously, you got to put Nick Saban up there, even though he just recently lost to Clemson, which I called. But I also... Um, would have to say Urban Meyer. I mean, look what he's done with a couple different teams and different conferences. I think that's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, that's who I would say. I like that. Okay. So it kind of comes down to those two for you, the Urban Meyer and, and uh, Nick Saban. And honestly, just until a couple of days ago, I was like, well, Nick Saban all the way, like, there's no doubt about it in my mind. I mean, to the, to the same point of like, he's got all the rings, he's got the the hardware to prove it. But I like your point that Urban Meyer has done it in multiple areas. His days at at Utah, even, I mean, he took Utah to the Fiesta Bowl when they beat Pitt back in 05, I believe, 05-06 season. Um, that was insane because he got, I think it was the 05-06, or was it 04-05? Do you remember? I can't remember. It was one of those times. Um, but he took Alex Smith and made him into the first pick of the draft. I mean, Smith was a stud in college, but then – he created him into this like stellar quarterback that was high up there from this school in Salt Lake City. Then he took his talents to Florida, and they beat my Buckeyes. They smashed my Buckeyes um, in the national championship. 
Uh, that was really, really bad to watch. And then, um, I mean, he's even got one with the Buckeyes. He goes over there, turns that program all around, and, it, and it's insane to see that he can have that success at each school that he goes to. So in my opinion, it's Meyer. I think Meyer takes the head up over, over Saban on this discussion. I think he gets it uh, just because he's seen success in every single area. Um, he gets the call. He goes there. He builds his program. He gets the recruits, and he goes, what would your final say be? I say Meyer. What's yours? I personally say Meyer, too, in my opinion. Um, I think it's just tougher to do um, in different conferences. You're starting all over, where Saban, don't get me wrong, got to give him credit, but he's developed a culture there, um, a winning environment, players going to the NFL. People want to go to Alabama because it's Alabama. He's created a brand, which you you can't take away from that. I just think it's tougher to do what Meyer has done. So I'd say Meyer. Okay, so we agree on that part. Uh, that that's a good point. You go to different conferences, got different people. You're still getting the recruits. I mean, doesn't matter who his coaching staff is. He still seems to be at the top every single time, like every year. Even though this year Meyer got destroyed by Clemson, um, I mean, he had a successful season considering his team is extremely young um, compared to the teams that he's had in the past. So, yeah, so we'll go with Meyer on that one. So we've got Belichick, we've got Meyer. Let's take college basketball into consideration who were some of the top names in college basketball, in your opinion? Well, you got Coach K at Duke. Not a Duke fan, but you got to respect them. Um, and then, obviously, Roy Williams, what he's done at Kansas and now North Carolina. Um, you got Coach Patino. Um, I think that's all I have. What about Calipari? Do you, do you put him in that list as well? Calipari is a great recruiter, um, great coach, I believe. Um but I don't think he beats those top three, personally. What's good about Calipari? You said he's a great recruiter. It seems like he can't, he doesn't consistently win the big game, like you know, like the other guys were mentioning, like they can get the rings or they can get that hardware. But what does he have that's like, let's say he might not be as good as them in that sense, but like what does he have that at least is something to mention? Like what puts him up there in that list, at least, even though he can't always win the championships like we're talking about? the NBA uh, players he produces. Um, I would say just his recruiting um, and how many players out of Kentucky are going into the NBA. You start looking at the Phoenix Suns. I mean, all of their guards are pretty much from Kentucky, from Calipari. So, I mean, that's something to be said. Um, I think it's kind of like Alabama. He's created a brand there. Um, But, yeah. Okay, so... So we're, we're going to say, okay, he's got the talent. He brings them in. I think that's something to say. I mean, that's that's something to look at because I, I, he got a lot of good talent in the NBA. If you just take a look, I mean, there's a ton. The big guys, even the guards, like you got a, a lot of big names in the NBA, even though they might not have gotten their championships. Some did, but a lot of them didn't get their championships in college, but they're still stellar athletes in the NBA. That's saying something. They want to play for Coach Calipari. So who though like so we're we're looking at we mentioned coach K we mentioned Roy Williams to your point Williams has done it in different areas so that's kind of that same argument we made with Urban Meyer in college football so Roy Williams has done it in a few t- a few areas and even Patino has seen success in different schools but let's say like i mean not just because it's a rivalry we got coach K we got Roy Williams who are you taking as the best coach in college basketball i personally would say coach K um personally he's just done it for so long there and he's created a brand I do like Roy Williams I'm a little biased there since he's North Carolina's coach um and coach Calipari um 
I mean, it's definitely debatable. It's hard to say, um, but he just hasn't produced the rings, like you said, and the championships there like Coach K has. Okay, okay, I could see that. Um, earlier, though, before the show, weren't you uh, talking about Roy Williams as well? Like, he has a little bit of baggage with him in the sense of, like, what were you saying is going on with North Carolina? I mean, that, that could possibly be something to, to keep your eye on when discussing their legacy. Yeah, that's a good question. I actually don't know all the details, but I know they're under investigation uh, when they won their championship. Um, you know, something with the recruiting process. I'm not exactly sure all the details, but um, there's definitely baggage there. Okay, so with the baggage there, just something to look at. I mean, I'm sure every coach has theirs. Coach K probably has some stuff. Like right now we're seeing their program struggling to, you know, the guys like Grace and Allen, they're struggling to keep those guys under control, stuff like that. But uh, would you say that Coach K gets the nod over it officially then, over Roy Williams then, officially? Yeah, for sure. That's my personal opinion. Um, I think the way he handles his players, too, with the Grayson Allen situation, um, he's done a good job, you know, his whole time there at Duke. I agree. I mean, minus the uh, quote-unquote indefinite suspension of Grayson Allen, which ended up being one game, um, I think they've handled everything pretty well. And actually, I'm not going to trust his judge, or I'm not going to test his judgment there. I mean, he knows the players better than I do. We always see is what the media is throwing out there for Grayson Allen and all the stuff that's going on there. He knows the backstory, so I'm taking Coach K as well. Um, I'm totally with you on that. So we got Coach K, we've got Urban Meyer, we've got Bill Belichick, and then when we get into the NBA to finish up this segment, I think it comes down to two of them. I think we're all on the same page here. Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich, what do you think there? Who do you think has the nod when it comes to those two? That's a good question. Um, I, I'm personally biased just because Phil Jackson coached the Lakers with Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. But it's definitely debatable because I feel like Coach Pop has done it with less talent, so to say, even though you have Tim Duncan, which is an all-time great, might be the best power forward to ever play the game. Um, and it's kind of like I compare him to Bill Belichick. You know, he's taken his one superstar and built a system around one superstar. Um Phil Jackson has done it with two different teams with two of the best shooting guards of all time. So it's definitely debatable. I mean, there's definitely, you know, talking points on both sides, but I'm a little biased with Phil Jackson. Okay. I can see that. I mean, I know you're the Lakers fan. I know that that's kind of how it goes. Uh, And with the media, like Popovich kind of bugs me a little bit. I think everyone thinks he's hilarious with the way he talks to the media. Um, But his dull personality, like I think as a coach, yeah, your job is to to coach your your team to get your championships, and that's what you're worried about. But when you're in professional sports, for that matter, they teach you to be, you know, good with the media. You have that's part of your contract. Is you have to talk to the media, and he knows that. He knows exactly what he has to do to be part of it to make sure he's fulfilling his contract. That's why you see his one word and one line responses all the time with the media. But while it's funny, I think it's um, it could be used against him in a sense. Uh, he's a great coach. His players love playing for him. They love it. But for some reason, Phil Jackson, um, although he's not the best of the media either, he's a little bit better than Popovich. And plus, he's done it in different areas. Did he have to win with superstars? Yeah, but who doesn't? Um, I think every coach has to have some sort of superstar to actually win. And I mean, and, and it's not always an, an easy thing to do. Ask uh, David Blatt if it's an easy thing to do with a superstar. Like, you have to be able to coach the superstars that you have. I think. Phil Jackson has done that. Um, I think he he did a great job with MJ, did a great job with Kobe and Shaq, and I, I think Phil Jackson takes a nod over 
over Popovich. And that's my opinion. Um, I'm with you, though. I, I go Jackson all the way. Not only that, you know, I also think Phil Jackson, I was just thinking about it, you know, he had Kobe and Shaq, and then Shaq left, and he had Kobe there, um, and Lamar Odom and Pau Gasol, some good players, but definitely not up to the capable, you know, capability of Shaq. Um, so there's some talking points there, just two with Kobe. I agree. All right. Solid work, man. So I think we're kind of uh, on the same page here. This is why I love Derek, because him and I discuss this stuff. We can break it down and kind of analyze stuff together. And sometimes we agree with each other and sometimes we don't. But it seems like we're pretty much on the same page in regards to who we believe the best coaches are. So there's really not too much debate there. Um, So that's our opinions. I want to hear what you guys have to say. So if you have any comments, please leave them. Again, you can make those comments and you can leave reviews. You can go to my website, 208sportsreview.com. You can listen to the podcast there and leave comments there. Um, you can listen to it on on the link that I'm about to send out on Facebook. Or you can go, like I said, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. Go to one of those, download the app, find the, find the podcast, and subscribe. So what we're going to do now is we're going to wrap up the show, breaking down some of the NBA topics. On the field. On the field. Or in this case, on the court. Uh, We're going to be talking about the MVP race to get it started. Right now, we've got three big names that we kind of wanted to discuss. We've got Harden, Westbrook, and KD. How ironic that these three names keep popping up. I mean, there's obviously others that are in the discussion, but these three names keep popping up this year because of the stellar seasons each are having. How ironic that they all used to be on the Thunder together. Now they're separated. But Derek, who do you have... And what, what's your points? Let's let's break down first. Let's start with Harden. What do you like about Harden's game this season, specifically compared to the last seasons? Yeah, good question. Um, obviously, the assists. I mean, that's what stands out. He has he leads the league in assists. Um, so, and the team's winning. Um, obviously, that's going to be a big factor. And just him being more efficient on the court. He sees the court so well getting his teammates involved. Um, he's literally taking over games, 50-point triple-doubles. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And winning the game, obviously. Do you think it has a lot to do with this coach? Because I think right now that new offense, it seems like he was he was always stellar. Um, and I think, to your point, the assists are coming in there. His defense is getting there. He's getting better. He's not as lazy or as, as slow. He's He's worked on it. I think we don't get to see that a lot because everybody's so so – used to just dogging on his defense but he has gotten a little bit better it's not an elite defender by any means it's not like he's going to be on the all nba first team defense whatever he but he's getting better his assists and running it at the point guard position they put him at the point do you think that has a lot to do with the success or is, is that just me talking here well i think he's always been a ball dominant player even when he was a shooting guard technically so he was a shooting guard that kind of played point guard in a sense um, but now the ball is always in his hands, and with how well he drives the ball and how much attention he gets, um, it's opening up the you know the floor. And I think a lot of it has to do with that offense and bringing Ryan Anderson in, Eric Gordon getting some shooters around him um, has made a big difference. But it all goes back to James Harden. I mean, he just creates that much attention. I see. I totally agree. And and one of the points I was making a couple weeks ago when I was discussing this with one of my buddies was that Harden. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not putting him in the same realm as LeBron James overall as a player, but by allowing them to run the point with as good as they are driving, like you said, and allowing them to kind of control the offense, it kind of forces them and and makes them happy to get the ball out of their hands because 
by running the ball, like having the ball in your hands all game long and being able to be the facilitator, you can see it's working. He's able to score and still get his team into it. Not to mention he's got shooters all around him. So it's actually fun. He can dish it to them at the three-point line and they just let it rip. Um, Harden's killing it, man. I, I used to hate him. I used to hate his game. Couldn't stand him. He was like, he just seemed, everyone said he was so smooth. I thought he was, I thought he was choppy. I thought his game was choppy, but as I'm watching him and watching him, I'm like gaining a huge respect for him because he puts work in. He can shoot consistently. I think if you could just limit the turnovers, I think you have yourself one of the best players that could play. I think he can com- compete with anybody. But like in the in regards to turnovers, though, I think the same thing you have to say about Westbrook. Westbrook goes 100 miles an hour. He can score it. He can get his triple doubles. But he turns the ball over. What are your thoughts on Westbrook, though? Like how his season, his monstrous season that he's having right now. What do you think about that? Like how do you how do you feel about Westbrook and where he sits in the MVP race? Good question. And back to, you know, what you said about James Harden and the turnovers. I just want to kind of touch on that. I think that's the big difference from last year. He just seems so under control. Um, He's going to have turnovers. I mean, the ball's in his hands 99% of the time. But I think compared to last year, he does seem more under control. He sees the court so well. And yeah, back to Westbrook. um, Man, he is athletic. He is athletic, Um, and that's why, you know, he's getting those triple-doubles, and it's pretty incredible seeing what he can do without KD. Um, And the team they have this year, I mean, they're winning, and to me, I don't think they have near as much talent as, you know, what KD and Harden has, personally. Um, So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy what Westbrook's doing and, you know, having their team win and at least compete on a nightly basis. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Westbrook, to me, he the only thing he needs to do, though, I, I respect his athleticism. I, I respect his passion for the game and how he wants to go 100 miles an hour at all times, but that's that can be a problem sometimes. I think that's what causes a lot of the turnovers, or not necessarily turnovers, but the sloppy shots and change of possessions and the fast break on the other side. You know, he's going 110 miles an hour, and then he gets to the, to the – to the lane misses a layup or takes a sloppy shot no one's prepared for it they get on a fast break on the other side they score if he can just limit that and find a way to control himself the control i i think he just continues to improve that's if, if, if there's one thing to to talk about his game that would be it because his desires there he's put in the time and what impresses me the most is how much he's improved even since college like in his college days, like he wasn't even, we were watching this yesterday. He wasn't even like recruited highly out of high school, like to major schools. And when he came to UCLA, didn't you t- tell me about this? That he wasn't even like a main player, right? He was just coming off the bench. Yeah, so he was their sixth man at UCLA, and you know he got drafted because of his defense and his athletic ability. Um, so he actually came into the NBA not knowing what he could do offensively. Obviously, everyone knew he was athletic, could run, jump, um, but his shooting wasn't there. Um, so yeah, pretty incredible what he's done over the years. Um, and I, I totally agree with you. I think the one thing with Westbrook, he could be, I think over everyone, as far as an NBA player goes, if he can keep it under control, when to go 110, when to calm it down. Cause fourth quarters, I mean, last year against the Warriors, personally, I think he's the one that lost those games, those fourth quarter turnovers, um, we can talk about how great he is and going 110, you know, out hustling everyone, but sometimes it bites him. Yeah, I I completely agree. I completely agree on that one. Um, it it kind of hurts that he doesn't have KD there to take some of the load off with KD heading over to the Warriors. Um, but you know Westbrook, he's doing his thing. 
He's obviously he's almost averaging a triple double if he's not already doing. He very well may in the season averaging a triple double, and that would be unbelievable. So I mean, I give him credit um, for what he's done. I think it is tough when you have KD leave. You don't have that extra guy to kind of take the load off and and be clutch in those clutch situations. You know, just give him the ball instead of it all being on you. Um, and speaking of KD. Yes, he's surrounded by a ton of talent right now, but he's also playing some of the best ball I've seen. I think it's because he's he's got that mentality that he's he went there and a lot of eyes are on him because he kind of bailed out on the on the Thunder for a better opportunity and he's killing it right now. Uh, his stats are just unbelievable. He's shooting so well from the floor. He's got a drive and his defense is just insane. That's what the uh the Warriors were kind of missing um, especially with Harrison Barnes, they didn't have that length and athleticism, but you can see like he's altering shots in the lane. He's, he was doing it against LeBron too. He's, he's causing problems for those guys getting into the lane. That could be huge for them going deep into the playoffs, but KD himself, even though he has the talent, I think that he has a shot at the MVP position because of how consistent he is playing. The consistency is key and he's being very consistent the entire year well, up to this point, we'll see what happens after the All-Star break, but I don't expect it to slow down. He's just, as as more as they get more and more comfortable with each other on that team, I think KD has a big shot of being the MVP. What, what are your thoughts on that? Good question. I, I mean, I don't think he'll win it just because of the media and what people, you know, see. They see James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and they see the numbers and what they're doing, but for me, KD wins it. And the reason why I say that, and this is just personal opinion, I don't I'm not saying he's going to win it, but my opinion, he wins it because everyone talked about the transition he was going to have to the Warriors. Four superstars on one team, you know, they're not going to fit. They're not going to, you know, be able to share the ball. I thought that was complete BS, in my opinion, just because I knew the type of player KD was, the type of player Steph was, Draymond, and they're all unselfish. I mean, I knew Draymond was going to take a back seat, and it's pretty incredible what KD is doing. Um, especially after Steph having back-to-back MVPs. And, you know, he just transitioned so well. I think it's pretty incredible, and I think it's their efficiency. I think having the superstars on the team does help him, you know, spread the floor a little bit, you know, having great shooters like Steph and Clay. Um, But his defense, wow. Yeah, that's something to be talked about. So you're taking KD in this discussion? In my personal opinion, yes. Just because of the transition, everyone said it's not going to work. I knew it was going to work. All right. See, that's interesting because not a lot of people are taking KD, but he definitely needs to be up there in the discussion. And I think, I think you're right there. I mean, he has, he has a valid argument. He's flowing. Things are going well with that team. For me, at this point, up to the All-Star break, I think it's coming down to Harden and Westbrook. Just, just my own opinion. I think it will come down to them. Um, they're all seeing success out of their seasons, but if I were to take – one out of all of these guys, specifically Westbrook and Harden, I'm actually going to go with James Harden. Um, I want to see like I want to see how they finish the season. But up at this point, it seems like their team's being a little more consistent as well. I know all teams are winning, but for some reason, I think that Harden just has the edge. I want to see what happens when he gets into the playoffs. But I think Harden has the edge, so I'm going to take Harden in the discussion. How funny is that? Harden and KD, all three of them for that matter. But Harden and KD, hmm, different teams. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I would say Harden's having a better year than KD, you know, just what he's doing for his team. And when you break down MVP, most valuable player, 
I would have to give it to Harden. I just personally like what KD's doing over there in Golden State when everyone said it wasn't going to work. I think it's pretty cool how unselfish they are, but he's still being efficient, shooting 55% from the field and playing defense and winning. But when you talk about MVP, most valuable player, you got to give it to James Harden. Okay, I like that. That kind of kind of goes into that, that that discussion last year with LeBron James. Is he the most valuable to his team over Steph Curry? That's, that's a good that's a good point. That might be something for a future show. Uh, I like how you mentioned the uh, the flow of the Warriors though. They're playing very well together when the whole world, including myself, sometimes thought they may not do so. Um, and they're they're killing it right now. Cavs and Warriors. It, it looks like it could very well happen for the third straight year. What are your thoughts? You think the Cavs and Warriors are going to meet up? Um, and if they do, who do you got? If they can meet up fully healthy, both squads, who do you got in a seven-game series? I really do think um, I, I would be shocked if someone made it to the finals without it being one of those two teams. Um, you know, Celtics, Toronto. I, I, I don't see the Cavs being beat unless an injury happens or they just blow up. Um, and who's going to beat the Warriors? I mean, you got the Spurs in the West. You got the Rockets looking well. But deep down in a seven-game series, I don't think the Rockets could do it. I don't think the Spurs could do it. So I definitely would be shocked if it wasn't those two teams meeting for a third straight year. But you never know. You know, they got to play the game. But if I was going to say those two teams met, I, I mean, I like the Warriors. I mean, I like how unselfish they play. Um, an injury if it happens, could hurt them. But like Shane said, if they're fully healthy, I, I got the Warriors. I mean, you still got Livingston. You still got Iggy coming off the bench. Um, and just the way they flow, the camaraderie, um, you know, passing the ball, what are they averaging? Like 30-something assists a game, which is an NBA record. Um, so if they can keep that going, um, it's going to be tough to beat, even for a Cavs team. And a lot of people were making the argument against them about their depth. The thing is, like you just said, they've got a few guys coming off the bench still that can play at an elite level. And when you're in the playoffs, you're only playing eight guys anyways, Like especially in the finals. like You're really only going eight men deep for the most part. And then if you have to really dig deep, you can uh, in the later games and such, or if there's foul trouble. But realistically, you find your best eight players and you go at it. And I think they still have you know some solid players in there. You can see that Steve Kerr is getting a lot of guys to get into the rotation Right now, he's playing a lot of guys and seeing who can fit into that rotation, maybe be that eighth and ninth guy on the roster for when the playoffs come around. But in the West, I don't see anyone taking the Cavs out in the East as much as the as, as much drama as we're seeing now in the East, like with or with the Cavs. Like, okay, are, do they need a playmaker? Maybe they have an argument for the they need a backup point guard. But realistically, uh, a buddy of mine also said like, there's no doubt they're going to make it through the East. Like when it comes to the playoff times, they're going to lock in. They'll have a healthy J.R. Smith. They're going to have everybody come in, and hopefully Corver can start fitting in a little bit better to the offense. I think they they are just as lethal, if not more lethal, than they were last year as far as their scoring standpoint is concerned. But for the West, for the for the Warriors, yeah, they got the Spurs. Are they too quick for the Spurs? They might be. Um, but what about the Clippers? Everyone dogs on the Clippers because they can never seem to get it get it past the second round. It's like they can't advance in the playoffs ever it's it, something happens whether it's injuries or they just get beat in a tough series whatever it might be but let's say the Clippers are fully healthy and this mellow trade happens talking about the mellow trade that just the, the the rumors that were spread around just this morning for a three-team trade between the Celtics the Knicks and the Clips 
if you could keep your big three together, you've got CP3, you got Blake Griffin, you've got DJ, and you got Melo. Do you think that team, if that were to happen, could put a fight up against the Warriors? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, a lot of big names in, you know, LA. Um, and you got a great coach in Doc Rivers. I personally don't see it happening. Um, them beat, I mean, it's too late in the season to, you know, mesh in another superstar, in my opinion. Even though Chris Paul, probably one of the smoothest point guards, getting people involved, um, I, I think it could work. I just don't know if it would happen this year, um, necessarily. But, I mean, it definitely would be interesting. Um, but, no, I, I don't see the Warriors being beat. Um, and that's my personal opinion. All right. All right. Okay. So, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I also wanted to say, too, with that trade talk being involved, um, I do think losing J.J. Redick could actually hurt them, too. Um, just how consistent he is at shooting. Chris Paul knows how to find him. Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan cause so much chaos down low. Gives him open shots. Um, so I think losing J.J. Redick could hurt them as well. And just to, to kind of backtrack on that, as Derek brings up J.J. Redick, the potential trade that was looming today, if they, they could bring three teams in, the Celtics would essentially get J.J. Redick and Paul Pierce and then uh, Luke Bamute um, over to the Celtics. That way it could give Paul Pierce kind of a chance to retire in Boston, and then they lose Redick over there. The Knicks, in return, would also get Amir Johnson, um, Austin Rivers, and then Jarebko. Uh, from, so there's going to be those guys. And then obviously the Clips would get Carmelo Anthony out of the whole deal. So yeah, I like that point. Losing Redick. Do you think that losing Redick would... Do you think Redick would be a little bit more valuable to the team than Melo in a sense? Even though Melo's a superstar, are you saying that Redick is more valuable to the Clippers organization with his consistent play right now? Yeah, I would say this, this point in the season, yes. I mean, Melo hasn't played with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Um, so personally, this late in the season, yeah, I think uh, Redick, you know, is a better fit at this moment in time. Maybe next year, you know, we could see something different. But then, you know, those superstars are another year older. Carmelo and Chris Paul are, you know, starting to get up there. Um, so personally, I like Redick there. Um, I like the way he plays the game. I like the way Chris Paul gets him involved, gets him shots in the first quarter. Um, so, yeah, I would have to say Redick. That's very interesting. See, this is, again, why I love having Derek talk sports because not many people would even make that argument that Redick leaving for Mello would even be something to discuss. But that is a really good point. When you have chemistry on a team, that can be huge. We've seen it with other teams. The only team I've actually seen that can put people together and just flow together is the Warriors, like we were just talking about. They're the only team that I've seen actually be able to do that so quickly. You've seen it with LeBron and the Heat when he went over there. It took him a while to get going. Seen him with the Cavs. It took him a while to get going, and then they started rolling. But if you do it midway through the season, it might be a tough transition for him. No one's saying that there's any guarantees with Melo going over to the Clippers. I like that point. Redick might be more valuable to the Clippers organization than Melo. Very interesting. With that said, we're still going Warriors NBA Finals. Yeah, for me, it's definitely Warriors. But, I mean, hey, the Cavs could get it done. They showed it. They proved me wrong last year. What LeBron did in the finals was incredible. I have so much respect for LeBron. Um, I just adding KD, like you said, about his defensive presence, his long arms against LeBron and all the eyes on him. I think KD is out there to prove a point, you know, with these other superstars. Awesome. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your insight on that, and I appreciate having Derek on the show. Um, any final words before we sign off, Derek? 
No, just thanks for having me on. It was it was a great time, and I look forward to doing it again with you sometime. Awesome, man. We'll have you back. We hope you guys enjoyed the show. That's all we got for you today. Again, go to 208sportsreview.com. I'll have my podcast there. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can download the apps, find my podcast there, subscribe, leave some reviews. I just want to have you guys interacting with us here on the show. So again, 208 Sports Review. We'll talk to you next week.